Welcome to CarePod, a safe place to educate, inspire, and renew the caregiver. Listen in with our host, Dr. Kibley Bell, as she interviews different experts along the caregiving journey. Okay, so I am so excited. I have the privilege of sitting with Suzanne Carter Esquire today uh, to discuss where we're at in this climate of, you know, elder law, you know, estate planning, advocating for ourselves and our loved ones as we ourselves age and we have uh, those that have come before us. So how to properly advocate uh, for them and us in this space. And so I reached out to uh, Suzanne to just help guide us uh, along the way and and to share her experiences in terms of what what types of issues she finds that clients are facing in this climate, et cetera. Uh, Suzanne is located and licensed. She's located in North Jersey and she's licensed in New York and New Jersey. For those of you that may be interested, we'll give her contact information uh, at the end of our chat. So thank you again. Thank you for the time that you're taking with us today. Thank you, Dr. Bell. I'm glad to be here because this is a topic that major part of my practice and COVID has accelerated the need for everyone to think about estate planning. It's not just at your later years in life. If you're a young person just starting out in your career, once you hit age 18, you're an independent adult, even though you may be living at home. But at age 18, your parents in most states cannot make decisions for you anymore. And you need to think about how you uh, how to look forward in life as you progress through life stages. In general, everyone should have a basic set of documents. The first is a durable power of attorney. And what this document does is it allows someone to manage your property and your finances in the event that you become incapacitated. Each some states have their have forms that are set in other states there aren't. So part of what I'm going to remind people of is that you need to consult with someone in who's an attorney licensed in the state where you are to discuss issues because the states vary. Uh, you should also have medical directives, your last wishes. How do you foresee your end of life? How you foresee your end of life at age 20 may be, may be different than if you're age 80. Who do you want to make that decision, decisions about your medical care if you cannot make them? And what I t uh, tell people is, is that you look for the person who's best suited for the job. You know people in your family, you know their strengths and their weaknesses. Don't fall back on, well, because this person is the oldest child or the oldest sibling to do this. That may not be the right person. So you find the person who has the skill set that you need, because during a time of crisis, this is the person who's going to have the final say and have to be able to tell everyone else, this is what she wanted. I'm only delivering the message that she wanted me to pass to you. And, and that is so clutch right there, because it's, it's, it's very interesting how medicine intersects law in, this, in that very point uh, with ethical decision-making, end-of-life decision-making, 
uh, choosing that person that is going to be able to handle the crisis and you know find a, a a good balance between allowing a family to process what's happening and and grieve the loss essentially especially in terms of endotracheal t- intubation to you know being on event status all of these things that we don't think about ahead of time so that is that is so key can i just backtrack a moment on a state so is there anything can you define a state? Because I, I think I've always thought of a state as, you know, I am in this sprawling estate. This is my property. But can it what it what does or does not define a state? Can a state be, you know, my dog, my intellectual property? Can you go into that a little bit further? Good point. Your estate consists of all of your wealth, assets, real property, uh, intellectual property rights, digital rights, which is becoming uh, a fast developing area of law as to what do you do with people's digital rights? What happens after somebody passes? Do you keep the Facebook account going? Can you access the Facebook account? And some people as part of their estate planning uh, will make a list of their accounts with passwords which, uh, which sounds good in one way, but given that we are nowadays we're required so many times to change passwords, keeping that list up to date uh, is probably going to be a little bit um, taxing on people. And your estate also consists of your debts. If you have a house, that's an asset. But if you have a mortgage on the house, that's a debt. Where do the two line up? Then you look at uh, part of your estate are the people who will inherit from you. And if you don't have a will, the state where you live will decide who inherits from you. And those people may not necessarily be the people that you want to inherit from you. In general, (laughs) the person that you most likely can't disinherit is a spouse, uh, except under rare circumstances. As a parent, you are not required to uh, have your children inherit from you. So you need to think about what do you have and who do you want to inherit from you. Can you bypass uh, spousal relationships to your children? Very rarely can you bypass the spouse. There's uh, the circumstances where a spouse can be disinherited is generally in a case of where the spouse has abandoned the person who has passed. But that's, uh, as I said, it's unusual. Most states will have where a spouse is required to receive a certain proportion of your estate. So even if in your will you say, I want to designate you know, Sally, John, Mary, and Joe, my four children, to have, you know, equal proportion, 25% of X, then, um, so essentially what the estate is saying is that the spouse would have to disseminate that accordingly, or what does that look like? Well, first with your will, um, once you, when you have a will, you have a person that's known as an executor or a personal resident personal representative who is going to follow the instructions in your will. Now, 
looking at the person who's married, if you do not name your spouse in the will, that can be problematic and that will lead to court intervention. Interesting. Yes. Very interesting. Okay, so I interrupted. You talked about the five things. So we're talking, we were on three. We were talking about the durable, durable power of attorney, mm-hmm. uh, the medical directives I missed and uh, discerning who's going to be, what role, whose role uh, in the family that they're best suited. Right. And I and missed those, number two. Oh, those two things generally go together. You're a medical directives. What do you want? Don't want. And then you have a person known as a healthcare agent or a healthcare proxy who's going to carry out those instructions. And there's also a document that's called known as a DNR, which is also stands for do not resuscitate, which can be part of your um, healthcare directives. Okay, so explain uh, living will and advanced directives. They are used interchangeably. It depends upon where you are, what it's called. So a living will serves the same purpose as advanced directives. And this is what I want. Don't want. This is who I want to make these decisions. And that document can be as general as as you want or as specific as you want, because you might start out with a document today when you're young and healthy or healthy, then as you go throughout life, you may have faced certain health conditions and you change, you can change what you then want later in life. Want to be a part of our growing impactful caregiving community? Sign up at impactfulcaregiving.com. And so how often do you recommend, you know, obviously our needs, you mentioned thinking about this at the, at the turn of adulthood. And then as we evolve our needs, our desires, you know, our, you know, our life stages change. So how often do you advise updating or taking a look at these documents? You should review these documents when you have significant life events. If you're a single person, and you get married, these documents need to be reviewed. If you're a married person, you get divorced, the documents need to be reviewed. If you have children, married or single, the documents need need to be reviewed. If you do not marry, do not have children, you should still review your documents because I've had clients whereby they've had one set of instructions, they um, were healthy at the time, and then have a catastrophic medical incident that changes their thinking. They may have had cancer. They may have had a traumatic injury. And their thinking about their end of life has changed from that first document. Very good. Very good. So what what are the most common issues that you've encountered with families? The common issues? Well, there are two to their, their... Two types of families, families where people get along and families where they don't get along. And that's what I typically encounter. People come to me. I try to tell people, don't come to me in crisis. Come to me ahead of time with a plan. Because then you're making this plan free of pressure. 
free of, of outside influences. Yeah. And I'm also going to let you in on a little secret. Making this plan does not mean that you are going to die. We're going to die regardless. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's, I just interviewed a woman. She is, she literally, her business is first 24 hour bereavement concierge. That's her business. So she grabs a hold of the person at the time of bereavement and handles everything. So she does have services to pre-plan as well. But for those people that they've, uh, they have encountered a death, you know, she, she jumps in and this is her, this is her niche. And it's just very interesting that, um, you know, I, even, you know, taking care of patients for decades, it's, we're in a space where we don't think about our own mortality. Like we're okay with our own demise in a, in a way, right? I guess we all agree we're going to die, but it's the acceptance of those that we're so endeared to that we're, we're so uh, that we love so much that, that somehow that acceptance or that fear of actually coming to the table to actually plan uh, feels like you're ushering in death into your life for some in some way instead of changing your your mindset to say no I'm just going to be prepared for this moment so it's just very interesting this concept and, of death right and it's important because those who are left behind need a roadmap and I've had clients say to me oh I don't have anything you have something because after you're gone unless you've done pre-planning where you've where you have already paid for your funeral services, burial, cremation, whatever you decide you want to have happen. If you don't have a plan, who's going to step in and take control and, and handle your affairs after you're gone? Now, what about the unique families where the grandparents are raising have raised the grandchildren you know where there's no there is no parent per, you know they they're not raised by their their biologic parents or raised by their biologic parents parents mm-hmm. uh, are there any unique guidelines with law around that or not necessarily it varies depending upon the circumstances by which the grandparents um, are raising the children. I just had a case recently um, where the grandparents uh, have had custody of their grandchild since she was probably about a month old. Tragically, the mother died shortly after birth. The father has been uh, missing. Uh, he agreed to the grandparents to have custody. Fast forward five, six years later, when the grandfather's passed, the grandmother is up in age. As I said, the father's not in the picture. And she made the decision that she wanted to adopt her granddaughter so that it will now be her, the granddaughter will now be her legal child. And she will be able to provide for the child through the end of her life and to make sure that her granddaughter, now daughter, will be able to inherit from her and by adopting her granddaughter 
um, the father's rights to the child were terminated because he did not contest the adoption. Interesting. Interesting. Just on Good Day this morning, Good Morning America revealed a show that is going to air on arts and entertainment with uh, adults who adopt adults. And it was this whole intergenerational concept where there are young adults who long for grandparents and say they didn't have that and they want that for their children. So they adopt one another. So I, I found that very interesting. Yes, that's also another form of estate planning uh, because in New Jersey, uh, depending upon the relationship of the person, New Jersey has an inheritance tax whereby if there's a sum of money to be left to a person who's either not your parent, spouse, child, or grandchild, that person would need to pay an inheritance tax. So there have been situations where you have had adults, as you meant, just mentioned, adopt other adults. It could be a nephew, a cousin, someone near and dear, where they may have had that quasi-parent-child relationship, and they adopt that adult as a way of estate planning so that person will inherit and avoid paying an inheritance tax. Mm. So, there, so there's an inheritance tax because that obviously is income. Yes, and that's a, um, that also varies from state to state. In New Jersey, there's an inheritance tax. In New York, there is not. Very interesting. Well, part of the uh, estate planning, which it will also tie in with a financial planner, depending upon the uh, size of your, depending upon your income, what assets you have, and looking for ways to preserve those assets as you, as you grow older. Uh, how do you look at long-term care? Are you going to be able to age in home? Ideally, that would be the best to age in home. If you need minimal support, that's great. Uh, or if you're not able to remain at home, what is long-term care going to look like for you in a facility? What resources do you have set aside for that? And that's also a very state-specific um, issue as to how long-term care is funded. So what, is that, how, what does that look like in New Jersey and, and New York? Well, the two states are vastly different. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you are employed now, working for an employer, or even if you're self-employed, depending upon your age, you may want to look at long-term care insurance to, be, uh, to fund your, your care if you should need it later in life. Uh, you know, I always joke just, I'm good, give me my four room, my four walls, you know, uh, I, I joke about how the paradigm shift is going to change with our cohort because, you know, look at our culture and our digitized age now, the, the nursing home assisted living, independent living model will not work for our cohort or even those, those before us even in terms of our luxuries. Uh, so d does long-term care insurance, uh, supply just having those funds available for if I want to age in place at home, um, but I need it at that time, or will those monies have to be used towards me going into said facility? That's going to depend upon the terms of your policy. 
Um, mm-hmm. If you are employed, most employers will offer long-term care insurance. If you are, or if it's not available, or if you're self-employed, you can look into long-term care. And you need this. That's you need to meet with someone who specializes with those plans to discuss them to know what's covered and what's not. What's going to happen with inflation? What the policy you buy today at uh, where the cost of long-term care is X? Twenty years from now, if when you need if you need long-term care and the cost of long-term care is now Y, how much of that increase does your policy cover? Good stuff. Good stuff. Are you on social media or how does a client who wants to consult with you get in touch with you? I will give you my website. Okay. www.smcarterlaw, all one word, dot com. And the toll-free number to the office is 877-706-3335. Beautiful. Well, I really appreciate your time with us here at the Care Pod. Very good information, food for thought, uh, both as a clinician taking care of families and personally uh, advocating for my own aging loved ones. So. Uh, I definitely appreciate the expertise that you're bringing to the table today and for taking the time with us. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Bell. It's been a pleasure and good day to you also. Thank you. Great information right from the source. For more information on how to care give like a boss, check out impactfulcaregiving.com. Want to be a guest on the show? Contact us at carepod at impactfulcaregiving.com.